Welcome to the Scale Up Valley podcast, where we bring the best of the best to help you scale your business from 1 million to 1 trillion. Today's guest is Tony, the CEO of Wizard. Uh, Tony, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Mike. Great to be here. Not sure if I have much to say about bringing a company to a trillion dollar, though. I, I, we haven't done that yet. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and and, uh, and that's why it's it's really provocative. And thanks for bringing it uh, into 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 the show, uh, because maybe the the ones who are listening today uh, don't remember why I've uh, made this introduction or I've pivoted into this introduction. Because it's really there are only three or four tech companies who have trillion dollar evaluations and it was yeah. really to challenge us of course uh, in in this show we cover much more the, um, the 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 path from one to 10 million arr and sometimes even from 10 to 50 50 to 100 uh, a little bit less and that would be great to get with billion dollar uh, evaluation <laughs> so you are you are right <laughs> good start and uh, Let's get to know more about you because I know that you have an amazing story and you are doing amazing things with uh, with Wizards. So who is Tony and uh, let us know more. Sounds good. Um, well, I'm an engineer by background and then I moved to the dark side of being an entrepreneur. Um, <laughs> and the company I'm trying to build with with my amazing team is, is called Wizards. And uh, we are trying to build um, the easiest design tool out there to enable non-designers to bring the ID to life uh, easy. So think of it as an easy to, easy to use design tool to create a mock-up for websites, web apps, mobile apps, uh, or any like SaaS software. Right. That, that is really amazing. And uh, nowadays that's uh, even for the ones who are want to test an idea and do a quick MVP or a prototype, uh, not wanting to invest too much before understanding if it works. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a great help, I imagine. Spot on. Yeah, exactly. So many founders have amazing ideas, but they just don't know how to use, you know, Figma, Sketch and all the fancy tools that are made for designers. So we build Wizard to make it easy for, for anyone to, to truly bring their ideas to life and, and test assumptions before they spend real dollars into, into a team and, and developers. Exactly. And I, I saw also on your website that you also have an enterprise um, offering, uh, which shows that also, and, and some of your portfolio also have very large companies in your logos in, in the website. So which, which means that also this might be interesting for uh, enterprise folks uh, that are listening to us. Yeah, completely. I mean, the truth is design is so ubiquitous, right? I mean, everybody needs to design great products exactly. these days. Um, I often joke that I have friends choosing, you know, their bank based on the quality of the mobile app. And so, you know, if you are, even if you are a it's bank, true. you need to be able to design great product. Chances are there are not enough designers in the team. And then it means that, you know, product owners, decision makers need to some time, you know, take things in hands and, and, and try to just ideate and create things um, in order to guide and help their teams move faster. So which means that, uh, of course, given the nature of your um, SaaS uh, business model and, and SaaS product, it is really kind of a horizontal approach in terms of ICP. Uh, can you share a little bit more details or what are the main segments um, that you consider important in terms of ICP for for wizards so far? Yeah, that's a good, good question because I mean, it's changing all the time as the business mature and as we, you know, um, improve the product. But I guess like right now, the, 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 the most active users in the target market we're going after is on one side, 
these startups uh, that have limited resources and, and need to iterate fast. So it will be entrepreneurs, startup founders, engineering teams. And then it's interesting, but we don't have a lot of SMBs. It's like the other side of the spectrum, which Thanks. is directly <laughs> product managers, project managers in, in large enterprise. Um, so sometimes we like to, to, to look at these two segments as the innovators, the, you know, uh-huh. disruptors, people that, people that have ideas want to bring them forward and, you know, are not scared to just break the boundaries of what their teams are used to do, uh, basically. And it's curious to see the both segments and, and develop a position because it almost seems the, the kind of the typical matching and collaboration between corporates and uh, entrepreneurs. Uh, so it's, it's, it's nice to see uh, that uh, that's complementarity. And so let us know a little bit more about, about the story. So uh, in terms of stage of our headcount, um, fundraising status, so what has been the story since, since the beginning? Yeah, of course. I mean, we've pivoted a thousand times as any startup <laughs> trying to survive do. <laughs> exactly. um, and so, in, uh, so we started in late 2017, um, officially only in 2018 when, when the company really formed. Uh, we raised a pre-seed in 2018, so that was 800,000 US dollars, which was, you know, enabling us to go from our crazy ID slash research to a product. Then we raised a seed in 2019, which was 2.8 million dollars, and the goal there was like, hey, we have a product now, can we find a market for it, and then can we measure and quantify product market fit? And we did, and then we launched out of private beta. In February last year, so it's only been over a year since we've been live and things have been crazy, to say the least. We've been growing at by 5% week over week on all KPIs since launching out of beta. And then we raised a our, our $15 million Series A in August last year. Congratulations. That's really a, an amazing and, and by the way, almost by the book, right? So every 18 months uh, raising a, a new round. Well, I guess by the book in terms of spending, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Great people are expensive. And of course, that means that after 18 months, you typically run out of cash and you need to go out and, and raise again, unless you, of course, figure out early on how to generate revenue. But that's that's not our case. Right. So we, we focus a lot here on the show uh, on, on this stage of getting into Series A and going from A mm-hmm. uh, to B. But nowadays, I'm, I'm also kind of doing a, a refreshment about... Uh, how to raise a pre-seed and the seed round, because I, I think that later on when we are scaling up, we have different maturities of businesses within our portfolio of, of the scale-up. And, and some when we add a new segment or new industry, a new geography, there is this need of coming back into the startup mindset. So mm. we need to prove product market fit again in that specific, uh, let's say, sub-business. Uh, or business units uh, without making it too too corporate, let's say, um, and in that stage, I think it, it's 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 good to share how how do we really go from idea to MVP to product, uh, and how how do we, uh, how do we really test all the assumptions as quickly as possible in the beginning without um, going too crazy too crazy too early. So what, what have been some of your lessons uh, learned from, you know, raising your pre-seed rounds and then raising your seed round? Well, we learned a lot. Um, I could probably speak about our learnings for, <laughs> for eight hours in a row. <laughs> but I guess, the, I guess the learning that really stand out, um, especially to me as an engineer, is really like, 
you know, me and my co-founders are all first-time founders. And we've done this, you know, we know we've done the mistakes that most first-time founders do, which is like, hey, let's build an amazing product and people will come. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So, you know, build the product first and then forget about uh, distribution. Um, I think that was a big mistake in retrospect, but uh, we've learned a lot by by doing so. Um, And so I guess the big learning towards, you know, figuring out product market fit um, to come back to what you were saying is really like build something that people truly want um, and speaking to customers as an engineers like me has been you know a challenge right speaking to customers is not something you're used to you, you expect you, you're just going to build a product you have the what i like to call the henry ford trap you know if i if henry ford said if i had ask people what they wanted, they would right. have said faster horses. And therefore you would not speak to people because then don't know, he knows better. And as an engineer, as a product person, you would tend to think the same way. I know better and I'll build it. But we've learned the hard way. That's, that's not how it works, right? You need to make sure you solve a real pain point. And then speaking to customers will just save you a lot of resources in developing the wrong thing. Um, right. And I guess the other learning is also to stick to an awkwardly narrow target market um Mm -hmm. you mentioned it earlier who is uh, uh, you know our target customers and we've Mm -hmm. stayed narrow on purpose because the danger of trying to branch out too quickly is that you build a mediocre product for a lot of people instead of building a tremendously amazing product for a few core members and again that's something we've learned the hard way we have a product which can be used by a lot of different individuals but that doesn't mean we should try to attract all of them because not all of them necessarily have, you know, benefit the most from the product in its current form. Um, so yeah, it's been the hard learning. Speak to customers and stick to an awkwardly target market so you have focus. I think it's it's complicated because sometimes um, you have identified the problem, but that problem can uh, is is felt by different uh, segments and you still want to understand what is the segment that has the most intense exactly. uh, pain point, yep. let's say, um, because the idea would be, okay, I know that we will start with this niche, with this segment, and typically the combination of industry, uh, size of company and, and geography, even buying persona. Okay, this is this is where we will test out all the assumptions and how do we solve the pain point uh, and how, how do we make the product solve that um, th- that pain point. But uh, of course, in the beginning, is not so clear as we would like to to be, right? So any, any insights there on how to find that initial ICP to, to avoid uh, losing too much time trying to go in all directions, right? Well, I guess... I guess data is always the answer, right? How do you quantify that your assumptions are correct? Um, but something I want to say as well is that we figured there is always perceived um, value and actual value. As in, even mm. though you have an assumption that a lot of people can benefit from the product and it, they all want to sign up, they all you know can't wait to use your tool, and then you suddenly assume that all of them are target customers. Let's say you've built a you know an initial signup list. But when you actually look at actual behavior, when you open the tool to them, you suddenly realize, oh no, it's only maybe 10% that actually truly get value from this. And so that's what I mean by data, like really core activity and data is really like what helped us at least identify at Wizard what was the 
narrow target market we should go after first. Right, got it. So, which means that here, typically, your pre-seed round was almost uh, raised with um, with with the team and with the opportunity uh, and with the intent of building a, an MVP to validate uh, that th those hypotheses and and that opportunity, right? Well, we actually had an interesting story. So, as something I didn't mention. So, the way we help non-designers create product more easily, like design product, is also by yeah by using machine learning and AI to just make it easier for those non-designers. So right. to give you an example, I'm a product manager and I want to design an app, but I don't know how to use Figma or Sketch, but I know how to sketch my ideas on, you know, on the whiteboard or on a piece of paper. And then you could use Wizard to just snap a picture of your sketch and then turn this automatically into a design in, inside of our tool. Or you created something that you think is ugly and you tell Wizard, hey, please make it look like Twitter and then the AI does this work automatically for you inside of Wizard. And so we started from this. We started from a pure research thinking, hey, can we do this magical thing with AI? And mm -hmm. by doing so, we actually got quite some traction in the press. Um, and that traction in the press was the reason we could raise a pre-seed round without having paying customers, without even having a product. Um, right. Just based on the fact that we managed to build this unique tech that people thought would not be possible. Um, and that was back in 2018, yeah. The, the initial tech and prototype was actually called Pix2Code. Um, if okay. some listeners want to go check it out, it was pretty horrible, uh, but we got a lot of, 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 of traction through this uh, early work. So which means that you already had a MVP, a very different uh, one than, than, of course, the focus of the company uh, today, but you already had an MVP in place uh, at the time when you raised it. Yeah, exactly. We had proof that, Yes, it was possible to do some of the things we claim we could do, like turn you know an image of exactly. a few sketches or UI into into something uh, you could design with or, or, or code with. So and uh, then it was really uh, raising later a seed rounds to 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 really build a stronger version of the product. Let's say. Yeah, exactly. I guess this, the pre-seed was like turning this research into a real product, and then the seed turning this product into something people wanted. You know, trying to find product market fit for this engine we would have built. Exactly. So that, that's when Series A you got you got to see the the traction uh, uh, around the product in terms of usage, uh, and and you were able. Uh, and if you want to share anything else about your lessons uh, going to, into Series A uh, last year. Yeah, of course. So. If, so as I said, you need data, right? To be able to know, you know, what's product market fit for your company and, and who you should go after. And right. so what we've done early on is to have a beta program. So we've always had a website where people could, could sign up um, and then invite people into our beta. So we could test um, is the product good enough, who is using the product the most, and then all these things. And then once we, could, we were using this as a benchmark experiment bed, we've identified, yes, our target customers are non-designers, specifically startup founders and product managers in large enterprise. And then, only then, when we had measured this, we decided to open to the entire world and launch out of private beta in February 2021. And because we had data to back this hypothesis, um, it worked. Um, of course, it was still a bet <laughs> because we don't, didn't have a lot of data, but we opened, it, we opened the gate. We had data suggesting it was the right way to do it. And, and it, this is how we, we managed to, to scale rapidly uh, last year. 
Got it. Just to kind of summarize, because there is a lot of information in terms yeah, of sorry for, about that. even for me <laughs> and for, for the ones listening, I, I'm sure. So in, in May uh, 2018, you have raised the, the pre-seed round. Uh, and later on in February the 19, you were able to, no, February 2021 20, already. So you, that's when you launched the, the, the private beta, right? So we launched, no, so in February 2021, we launched out of private beta. So we've had the out. private beta oh, running okay. before that. Yeah, sorry about the uh, confusion. Um, and the private, the goal of the private beta was solely to acquire data on who are the customers using the product the most and how can we just make the product the best possible for this target group. And that's when you you launched out of private beta, you start seeing the, the traction uh, going up. And uh, that's when Thanks. the moments came into August the 21st to to raise the, um, the A round. So exactly. now it makes sense kind of going from pre-seed to seed in a, let's say in a, in a private uh, and controlled envir environment to really improve the quality of the products, improve the, um, the with the feedback of uh, of the cust of the potential customers of, of the users, and and later on really uh, launching it into the world and uh, and start having that that traction that uh, allowed you to to have that uh, a round. And what's next? So what are what are the adventures that you guys are going through since August uh, last year in in your way to to the B round? There's a lot of work, um, definitely a lot of work. Of course, it's 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 really like keeping keep improving the product, just make the uh, the best possible you know engine for customers. Um, but it's also like finding product channel fit. Now that we have product market fit, what are the channels that really can provide us with a recurrent amount of of active users, um, so we can prove that we also have um, a repeatable, predictable way to attract new customers. Uh, which is a big topic for for this year. Absolutely, uh, we have talked about uh, here a lot about that. So it's it's really important from A to B to create, as you said, that revenue machine that kind of it's repeatable, profitable in terms of unit economics and uh, and scalable, and, and that's a big job uh, there. And I I would say even more scalable would be from B to C, right? But uh, at least if it is possible to prove. That is repeatable and uh, and profitable with uh, with some channels uh, that should be already uh, great insights into into the next point. And, and I know that nowadays we we see different, as you said, there are different success metrics for different uh, SaaS companies in different stages of maturity. Um, one of the playbooks that I that I like to to use is the SaaS napkin from Point Nine Capital, uh, and of course, there in, in order to raise a A round, you would need kind of one million ARR, and the B round that's around uh, five million ARR. But it doesn't suit to all the the SaaS companies. In your case, what are the most important success, success metrics uh, that you need to to prove in order to be in a good position to raise those A and B rounds? That's a good, good question. I think the, uh, I mean, I really like the Point 0.9 SaaS napkin as well. <clears throat> Although I do believe that this napkin was basically set on fire, uh, you know, with a crazy new market we've seen in exactly. 2020 and <laughs> 2021. Um, so I'm sure they're going to, they, I mean, things are moving again in a different direction now. So they will need to update and create a few more napkins. But anyway, 
indeed, the I, I don't think the one million AR is 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 true for all companies, especially if, specifically for companies that have a strong B two C motion, um, where you know they might have a massive amount of of free customer and then a few paid users. Um, and in, in our case, it it was the case, right? We we are yeah we have a massive freemium um, go to market go to market motion, um, and then only a minority of our users are paying and. And we could raise our Series A because we could show that these people were really active. They were not just there once once in a while and then leaving. They were really active on a recurrent basis, inviting more team members to collaborate. Um, and so for startups out there looking into raising, you know, you shouldn't get married to this recipe of 1 million AR. If you build a great tool that people love, there is value into this. Even if they're not giving you dollar, they're giving you time. Which is even more valuable than 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 dollars, right? Right. That's that's really a a good point here, uh, and also to see that you have this combination, right, of uh, almost B two C in the beginning, but then those that B two C can convert into B two B. So you have you have exactly. multiple people yeah. within, especially in your segment for product managers within uh, large enterprise companies. So those would be the one that uh, will be sharing the worlds within uh, their community uh, across the enterprise segment. And maybe at a certain point, the enterprise will come because they want to buy a certain number of licenses for mm -hmm. all product managers, right? Kind of a bottom-up exactly. approach. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, fully product-led growth, bottom-up, um, learn and expand, as someone, some people like to call it as well, which I think is a bit... Uh, a bit of a funny, funny time. <laughs> exactly, I love it. That's that's great, great point. You, you have already said that all your co-founders and all the founders are um, first-time founders, and that's some of the lessons that you have learned. Could you share a little bit more because it's it's unique, as uh, we kind of discussed it in previous conversations, uh, to have four uh, founders, and I think there are some. Could you share? So who, who is taking care of uh, of what, and a little bit the the story of getting together to to start up with it? Yeah, of course. Um, so we so we so let's let's just start with introductions. So we have four founders, um, but we made sure we. We don't step on each other's toe. That would be nothing more unproductive. Um, right. And so, one of my co-founder is responsible for all the product, you know, customer-facing products. So he has a CTO role. We have a massive, since we are cloud-based service, we have also we take serious, you know, serious care of security and infrastructure. So one of our other co-founders specializes in this and is the CIO. Um, and then we have one other co-founder who is more like an operation marketing uh, person who is mm -hmm. taking care of, of, he has a C, CCO role, uh, sorry, COO. Uh -huh. And then myself, who used to be also like leading the machine learning and AI team, which is where I have my background. Um, and, and I took the role of, of CEO as, as we grow and, uh, and offload the uh, machine learning research to, uh, to other, other people. <laughs> right. Um, and the way we came to be is kind of interesting because, um, as I said, like this started as a research project, and this research project were getting quite a lot of traction. Um, but back then, it was just me hacking this up in my bedroom, you know, after work, uh, after university. Um, and then we got we got accepted into into uh, we were applying to YC, and uh, I had those three other friends that you know I wanted to build a company with in case this was going to become something. They were all, all of them were busy building other things at the same time. And we said like, hey, 
let's apply together at YC. And if we get in, uh, we stick together. If we if we don't get in, then we can just you know figure out what to do. Excellent. And then we turned out we got invited to the um, interview process in San Francisco. And just going for this intense preparation, preparing for the interview, speaking with other founders, really like it really showed us, hey, there's something more to it here. And we didn't got in YC, but we still decided to just stick together and really try to just build a company around this initial prototype that we that we had built. That's that's an amazing uh, story, and uh, kind of having that objective uh, allowed us to come together to to keep moving forward, even not being accepted to by IC. So you have you have. Um, You, you have been able to raise the interest of amazing investors like uh, Inside, for instance, which is a very well-known invest, investor that led your uh, Series A round. So, so well done to, to keep going because sometimes the ideas are not accepted at YC. That means that they are not good. So this is good for the ones who are listening, right? Uh, if, if, you, if, you are not, if your application is not accepted, it doesn't mean that you don't have a, a great team and a, a great idea and potentially a great product, right? Yes, that's very true. Um, I mean, I, I sometimes say that, you know, As a startup, you're surviving. It's really hard to define success until you really made it to the billion-dollar valuation. Uh, but so far, we've survived, so that's great. <laughs> even even when you are having success, right? Uh, so yeah. again, in the press and going from A to B, etc. It seems from outside that everything is fantastic. Yeah. Uh, but the problems are getting bigger and bigger and yeah. bigger, right? And, exactly. Uh, it's it's kind of the growth paradox. It it gets more difficult instead of uh, easier. Easier. <laughs> yeah, we absolutely. all think when we get to 1 million or 5 million, it will be so much easier because then <laughs> I will have a, a large team and they will help out. Yes, but you also will have different kind of problems, right? <laughs> It's so true. It's like climbing a mountain every single you know month. And then when you get on top, there is a bigger mountain right after. And, and you'll, you all look at it, you know, everybody look at each other and like, oh, okay, great. Let's just climb that one and see what's uh, on the other side. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yes, it's it's necessary a, a lot of resilience, and and how do you guys evolve it into? Because we started with a very large, as I said, founding team, which which is uh, good in the sense that you can, uh, you know, share a lot of the burden of of starting up, and at the same time, almost be prepared for your first version of uh, of the leadership team. Um, so how how has been this transition? Who has joined it, um, the leadership team? It's been great. Um, I'm really, I'm really glad that. I mean, all of us are really glad that we are four co-founder and not just two or, or, or even one. It's really, an, you know, it's so hard. As you said, like there's so, just so much, pro, so much problem you need to solve. Being more people around the founding team really enable you to support each other mentally because it's, it's hard to be a you know a startup okay. founder, but also like share ideas and 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 make sure that you you can gauge decision makings amongst more, more brains which which is also amazing um, but now that we've grown like um, so much we've we've doubled the team in december so now we are 36 still very still small but but it's getting to a point where of course there is um, more you know processes that need to be put in place and, and all that so we've promoted um, early founding employees into 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 leading their own teams which has shown so far to be fantastic um, when you have people that have been there from the very beginning, you know, they're almost right. co-founder in many ways and, 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 and see them grow as managers, as a founder, it's just fantastic to see these people grow personally within right. the organization. 
And uh, how do you do, I think, because this is one of the most difficult issues to do in this transition is to, to, to see what are the ones that we can support promoting into, into the new roles that, that the company needs in, yeah. in the new version or the first version of the leadership team. Because in the beginning, as we said, it's, it's really about the, the founding team. Um, but going into some of them might be promoted and, and sometimes we might need some of them coming from uh, outside uh, yes. and a little bit more seasoned. And this balance is the most difficult because if we need to get out to get all the, the seats uh, for the leadership team, it will be a nightmare in terms of culture transition. Uh, but if, if we don't also get this external uh, fresh air, fresh blood into the company, uh, maybe it is not also uh, very positive, right? No, that's a, that's a great point. And of course, like when it comes, so until Series A, we've been a very like product heavy, engineering heavy company. So that right. means we could promote early engineers into, into team leads and, and, you know, head of machine learning, head of design. But then when it comes to the more commercial side of the company, then we've hired, uh, you know, fresh from the outside, outside. Head, head of marketing, um, head of community, um, director of customer success is all people that we've, we've hired uh, from the outside. Got it. That's, that's really a, a great point. And, and even there, we could discuss a lot uh, about the, this transition from IC into, into manager or uh, leader, even the technical side of things. Uh, it, it's, it's a very hard transition. Uh, and I assume even for you, as you were discussing before, uh, going from uh, founder CEO of a startup into a founder CEO of early scale-up, uh, it's it's it should be a, a roller coaster, right? Uh, in terms of the skills that you need to unlearn and relearn uh, for the next stage of growth, it is it is pretty tough. One of the best issues, decisions we've made was to hire also like a, a head of people and culture. Um, Good it's, point. It, she she's called Rachel, and uh, and she's also been a, a, like a trained coach before. So that means that she can also help us all, you know, be better manager and better executives. Um, because yeah, as you said, it's it's. It, it's a constant self-transforming um, transformation that you have to do, which is not easy. <laughs> Absolutely, and in a very short uh, period of time, it, it's not that you need, that you have kind of five years to prepare yourself for the next stage of the company, right? And something that I really enjoyed uh, is is the um, is that in your case you were able to have a very limited uh, ad count um, at at Series A, which which I think it's it's a very good thing. Uh, Sometimes in the past, there are some companies that would like to brag that uh, I have 100 people now at Series A and, and so on. And I think if we are able to get into the same results with a shorter ad count, it, it means that the foundations are in place and that we are more uh, scalable and, uh, and frugal. Of course, being smaller can't affect the potential of growth and execution. Uh, of course, I would be against that. But uh, we see a lot of mistakes for hiring too much too early uh, and especially to pivot uh, it, it it gets it makes things much more difficult because communication uh, gets much much harder right absolutely agree we've we've actually made the conscious decision to just stay as lean as we could so when we closed our series a we were we were only 12 in team um and so we've been really hard on on who we hire um for that reason because we want to make sure that you know and honestly, it's been great. We've been really we we've been putting a lot of emphasis into this, but so far since we started the company, we of course had to lay off a few people, unfortunately, along the way. 
but otherwise only one person left the team since we started so it's been hard to wow. find the right people but once we found them it's they stick around which, which is great for, for for them because they can grow, grow within the organization but also for us as founders because it means we we have people we can truly trust to lead the business and, and help us bring it to the next to the next level yeah and, and i would say that you just identified one of the most uh, difficult uh, pain points to solve uh, nowadays as a leadership team uh, and as a CEO, which is really being able to attract, uh, not not only retaining, but also attracting new talent uh, to the company. I know that you also have a remote uh, first culture. Can you share a little bit more about that and uh, what has been some of your lessons learned with uh, with that option? Of course. So the perk of being four founders from four different countries mean that we had to put you know, remote first, uh, we'd have to look at this really seriously when we started the company because so it, it always starts like a like a bad joke, right? Wizard responded by one French, one Danish, <laughs> one Dutch, and one Greek. Um, that means that we early on took the decision to just build a remote first culture. And to do this, we spoke with companies that were like at Series A and Series B stage to learn how they did it to, so we could, you know, avoid doing mistakes along the way. Of course we did, but we could avoid the most obvious ones. Um, But that meant that, well, first of all, when COVID hit, it was business as usual at at Wizard because everybody was already used to work remotely. And secondly, it's so much easier to source the best people wherever they are. That gives us a crazy competitive advantage um, over all the companies that might be more, you know, strict on having people on site. Um, So all in all, it's hard. But it's been like paying off big times over 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 the over the years, and and we are seeing it now because some companies with uh, the pandemic being perceived as coming to an end at this stage or at least until the next uh, winter, <laughs> uh, a lot of companies are saying, "Oh, we need to come into the office because it's really important for culture. It's different to to see you in the office." And against the ones who keep being remote first uh, have a huge advantage in terms of talent because as we see with the great resignation and, yeah, and so yeah. uh, people are valuing uh, other other things on their lives and wants to work in a company where they can have uh, fulfillment in the professional life and fulfillment in the personal life uh, all integrated let's say it doesn't exactly, mean that yeah. they don't want to meet each other because they want but there are other ways of doing that without being in the office uh, every single day of the week right yeah, absolutely. Um, of, of course, something I must say is that it works for us so far because we are less than 50 people, right? Who knows if it's going to be able to scale? Some companies manage to make it work yeah. um, as it scale, like GitLab is a prime example. So yeah. there is good reasons to believe that any any companies can do it if they are serious about it. But um, in, in our situation, we know it works up to 36 people. We've yet to find out if we can you know, scale as, as we grow the team as well. And I think that's also a, a great skill to, to, to have a command over at this stage of the company, because definitely when you are scaling up, you might, have, you might need to have uh, different offices, distributed offices, distributed teams. And if you don't know how to do it, um, again, the headquarters will be dominant over the new offices and that will, become, that will make a, a problem for in terms of scaling up, right? Absolutely, yeah. So I think that's that's a, a great skill to to train as early as possible. 
And, and also it's not easy when starting up to be able to be in, in a remote environment because the issues that you did you face are so difficult that sometimes having a coffee and uh, crying or parting uh, a bit when, when the ups and downs uh, come uh, helps. So if you were able to go through startup stage um, and, and be able to, to be effective, I think it's also a, a great challenge uh, that, you, that you guys have uh, defeated and, and, and won uh, along the way. Great to hear this. Thanks for the for the for the kind words. <laughs> <laughs> just 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 a reflection. Always always learning from you guys. And uh, we come in, into let's say the last uh, questions of the show that are the the quickest ones. Um, but um, if you would have an opportunity to have a coffee uh, with with yourself uh, at the beginning of uh, Wizards, what advice would you offer to your younger self? Don't do it. <laughs> no, just kidding. Um, that's a tricky one. Well, I guess it will also pretty much like, I'll probably repeat what I said earlier, like speak to customers um, to make sure you are really solving a core pain point. So you don't waste time building the wrong product for the wrong people. Um, and then the other thing is also like, I would say to all, all early stage founders, invest in data as early as possible. If you don't have data, you can't measure what's working. And if you can't measure what's working, it's really the equivalent of walking, you know, walking around in the dark. Um, right. And so, yeah, investing in data is, is honestly something we've done too late in, in retrospect, but um, we've learned. <laughs> exactly, that's, that's the point. Um, what are you the most proud uh, of on your journey so far? The easy, this is an easy one. Mike is always like, you know, speaking with happy customers, hearing we receive like, uh, you know, testimonials, like quotes from people uh, that are chatting with our teams every week. And it's just, it's, it's so humbling to see how people are, you know, being able to just bring their visions to life using our tool, being able to iterate on their startup ideas and seeing all these people being successful through a product is by far the biggest motivation uh, to get up in the morning and keep keep doing what we're doing. That, that's really great. At the end of the day, it's all about uh, customer NPS and uh, let's say not employee, but team member NPS. And as you said earlier, also seeing those early uh, team members becoming leaders and growing with the company, that's, that's really a, a huge fulfillment uh, that we feel. Right? So, worst advice ever received? <laughs> a lot. We've got a lot of, of, of bad <laughs> advice over the year, of course. Um, I guess it's actually one of the probably one of the trickiest thing as a founder. Who do you take advice from, and who, yeah. who whose advice to trust? Um, but I guess one that was particularly bad in retrospect was people that were pushing us to invest in growth before we had product market fit, mm -hmm. uh, which is the equivalent of you know filling trying to fill a leaky bucket with as much water as you can. That, that makes no exactly. sense. There's leaks. Um, yeah, that's a bad one. And you can literally, I mean, companies are dying because of this, trying to invest in growth before product market totally. fit. 
totally. We didn't discuss this a lot when we talked about the revenue machine, but uh, really the having the retention engine right. Uh, so it doesn't. It doesn't. Uh, it is not important to have the acquisition engine right if if there is no uh, retention engine uh, in place. Let let's say in, in that way. After having the retention engine, of course, we also need to have the acquisition engine. If not, we don't grow. But but uh, if if the product market fit bit is not is not solved, uh, trying to scale it, uh, it will be even a higher nightmare. Favorite business book. Um, that, that's actually the one that has been sitting on my desk for the past uh, 18 months, which is the uh, Hacking Growth by, by Sean Ellis and Morgan Brown. Um, I keep coming back to this book once in a while to just, you know, get inspired again. Really, really highly recommend it, yeah. And the, finally, the favorite movie or series that is inspiring you uh, or relaxing you to, to drive uh, Wizard forward. Unfortunately, Mike, I'm not a big movie series junkie, so I don't have, I don't watch anything at the moment. <laughs> Got it. So you are too busy uh, making things happen or making the movie of your life, right? And the movie of your business. <laughs> well, I, I, I even want to say I don't, I don't make the time to watch series and movies. <laughs> Got it. Got it. Sounds amazing. Tony, it, it was such a pleasure to have you on the show. Uh, I learned so much about your your um, journey so far. Thanks so much for making the time. Thanks a lot, Mike. And hopefully we can chat if we make it to the $1 trillion valuation. <laughs> I would say even earlier. When you get to Series B, you need to come back uh, into the show because we need to celebrate every step, every stage of the journey, right? So <laughs> Deal. Let's do that then. Let's do it. Uh, thank you, Tony, again, and to our community, thanks for being there. As you see, we keep bringing you the best of the best to make your life a little bit easier. We know that it gets harder and harder and harder, but uh, focus on the present and uh, go one step uh, ahead of other, and we will get there. So thanks so much for listening. See you soon, and keep scaling.